Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, why don't you open up with me to Colossians chapter 3. That's where we will uh, resume our study this morning. And as you're, as you're turning there, uh, at, the, uh, at the end of World War II, after Germany had been defeated by the Allied uh, powers, uh, which were the U.S., uh, the Soviet Union, Great Britain, and France, uh, those four allied nations uh, divided up what had been Germany before the war. Uh, they, they took all that land and parceled it off, uh, and they did the same thing with the capital city of Berlin. Uh, and that was uh, so 1945, and it wasn't long after that partition uh, that it became clear that uh, Joseph Stalin, the leader of the Soviet Union, didn't want to cooperate with the other allies in helping uh, Germany uh, get back on their feet after uh, being led and, and ruled by the Third Reich. And uh, as a result, there was a, a growing tension and hostility between uh, uh, the the zones that was controlled by the, the Soviet Union and the zone that was controlled by the other three allies. And eventually, uh, the side controlled by uh, the three allies of France, Great Britain, and uh, the United States uh, became known as uh, West Germany, or uh, its uh, official name was the Federal Republic of Germany. Uh, and uh, the Soviet-controlled area w- was uh, known as the, the Democratic Republic, or the German Democratic uh, Republic, uh, also known as, as East Germany. Uh, and the tensions continued to mount because uh, the people in East uh, Germany uh, were, were fleeing from the Soviets. They didn't want to be under uh, communist rule, and so there were three and a half million people uh, who fled from uh, East Germany by going to Berlin because the city was also partitioned. Uh, they would go into Berlin, and Berlin is in East, the East German area. They would go to Berlin and then catch a plane and depart from East Germany uh, and flee the country, and the, the Soviets didn't like that. Uh, and so in 1961, the, the government of East Germany, which was controlled by the Soviet Union, decided that they would build a wall right down the middle of the city of Berlin. Uh, and the goal of that wall was to keep uh, the East German people from leaving. Uh, and with that wall, uh, the people of Berlin, or at least in, in East Berlin, and the people of East Germany were, in essence, captives of the Soviet Union. That, that wall was built to keep the East Germans from escaping and from keeping uh, the people of the West from infiltrating. Uh, and that wall stood for, for many years. Uh, and there were thousands of people uh, who tried to escape uh, from uh, the communist regime by, by climbing over the wall at night, by trying to tunnel under the wall, and there were thousands who attempted, there were hundreds who were killed, uh, and many others who were caught uh, and turned back and put into prison. And, uh, and the, the, the Soviet Union did that because they wanted to, to keep those people in. That, that's why you build a wall, right? Uh, you, we have fences around our homes because we want to keep people out or we want to keep our children in. Don't let them escape. Uh, that's the purpose of walls and barriers. Uh, and, and we have a tendency of putting up walls and barriers in our own lives, don't we? Uh, we want to, to keep other people from getting in, from knowing who we really are, uh, and we build up walls to keep our secrets from escaping. Now, we don't want them to, to become known. We don't want them to, to get out. And as Paul is uh, is writing here to the Colossians in chapter 3. Uh, he, he has just addressed uh, sexual sin and, uh, and the sins that reside within our heart, and uh, that uh, anger in the heart leads to sinful speech. Uh, and that's what he just addressed in, uh, in verses 5 through 8. Uh, and then now he, he's going to issue another command, to, to do not lie. And I think those, uh, th- those two are, are related, because as... as uh, as sins of the heart, as we really look at those, uh, it, it's humbling, isn't it? Uh, when we really look at the sinfulness of our own heart, and who knows our own hearts best? We do. Uh, we, we know the sinfulness that, that takes place in our hearts and in our minds. And uh, I think the, the reason that he then shifts immediately to do not lie, uh, as we're going to see, is because uh, those are connected. Uh, if we understand the 
the sinfulness of our hearts, what will we be tempted to do is, is to cover and conceal our sin, to, to build walls around our lives so that others can't see what is truly going on. Uh, let's, let's look and, and let's just begin reading in verse 5 this morning. We're going to look at verses 9 through 11, the, uh, the end of this paragraph. But just to get some, some running speed uh, into what we're going to jump into, let's begin it reading in verse 5 this morning. Colossians chapter 3, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Uh, but what we're, what we're going to see this morning uh, is, is Paul understands this, this temptation to, to cover and conceal our own sins. And I think that's why he's going to issue uh, or begin to speak uh, about what he's uh, talking about here, uh, this uh, temptation to, to lie to one another. And what we're going to see this morning are three facts about, uh, about the gospel. Because uh, sexual sin and social sins uh, grow out of our hearts, because uh, if we have placed our faith in Christ, we have been united with him and are now called to seek the things that are above and think the things that are above, set our minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, because that is what Paul has already commanded, now he is going to explain uh, how the gospel further gives hope to our relationships and how uh, we can have peace and not live in hiding uh, within our own church, but we can foster relationship uh, and friendships uh, that grow us, that sharpen us uh, in this local church environment. And as you, as you see on your, your handout this morning, what we're going to see is uh, three facts about the gospel uh, that will help us in this. And uh, we'll see that the gospel calls us to honesty in our relationships. Uh, secondly, we'll see that the gospel uh, promises progress in our spiritual growth. Uh, and then thirdly, the gospel... Uh, sorry, you have it. I have it to scroll down. Uh, the gospel levels every distinction in the church. It breaks down every barrier between us. But let's, let's look first uh, at that first uh, point, that first fact, that the gospel calls us to honesty in our relationships. And it's just that first part of verse 9 where Paul says, do not lie to one another. Right? It's, it's a simple command, uh, a general principle that we are to, to live by. And uh, it's so significant because in, in John 8, 44, uh, Jesus speaks uh, of Satan and says he, he is the, the father of lies, uh, that, that he is the one that lying uh, began with. Uh, and we also see that Scripture states that that God is unable to lie. We see this in, in Titus 1, verse 2. We see this in Numbers 23, verse 19. And then again in, in Hebrews 6, 18. So that when we uh, speak lies instead of truth, we are imitating Satan rather than Christ. Now, this is a serious thing to, to lie and misrepresent the truth. Uh, lying is also a sin that never stands alone. That you lie uh, in addition to another sin. You uh, oftentimes we, when we sin, we are also then faced with an immediate temptation to try and and cover our sin, right? To act as if it didn't take place. As soon as as soon as Cain had had killed Abel, uh, and God says, "Where is your brother?" Uh, what does Cain do? Well, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Uh, Cain knows the answer to that, but he begins to try and conceal what he has done. And, and every temptation to, to lie is fueled by another sinful desire, uh, such as fear, uh, rebellion, uh, malice, intending to do evil or harm to somebody else, or just simply the desire to conceal our sin. And I think it's that last motive that Paul has in mind here, because he doesn't say don't lie against one another. He says don't lie to one another. 
Uh, and having just wrote about those, uh, those outward sins of sexual immorality, of, of slander, of obscene talk, and then, he, as we saw in the last couple of weeks, that he, he drilled down and showed that those flow out of our hearts. Uh, what he is saying here is uh, those, those sins that you are now beginning to see that reside in your heart, be honest with one another about those sins. Don't lie to others about what is really taking place because that will build barriers between you and those around you. Uh, as, a, as a teenager growing up, I, uh, I grew up in, in a cult that my, my parents were a part of, and uh, partly due to what my, my parents were demanding of me and then also what the, the cult leader was uh, teaching, uh, I had a lot of restrictions upon my life. And as a teenager, uh, teens love restrictions, don't they? Uh, no, so so what I began to do is uh, to rebel, uh, and in order to rebel, I had to keep my rebellion secret. Uh, and so what I would do is I would uh, go out and pretty much do what I wanted, but that that also required me to uh, to create this huge web of lies to cover my rebellion. Uh, and there was one time instead of going uh, to the library like I told my mom I was going to do, uh, I went to a friend's house. Just to hang out, but my parents wouldn't allow that. So uh, I, I went there, and uh, my mom, uh, little did I know, she called the library uh, and had the librarian stand up and ask if I was there, uh, and to which there was no response. Uh, so when I, when I returned home, uh, and uh, my mom said, well, where were you really? Because I called the library, and I know that you weren't there. Uh, I was in a lot of trouble, which it was good for my mom to, to do that. Uh, and... Because I had that, that web of lies, I wasn't caught in all of the lies that I told. That was one example of me, of me being caught. But, but little by little, the lies that I told, uh, each lie became like a, a new layer uh, in this wall that I was building between myself and my parents. Uh, it became a barrier to my relationship with them because uh, I would be really guarded in my conversation because I was always worried that if I said too much, I might, I might miscommunicate. I might forget the one of the lies that I had told and how all of the facts lined up. Uh, and so I didn't want to talk a whole lot to my parents because I was afraid they, would, they could question me and find out uh, how I had been dishonest with them. Uh, and just uh, it, that, that when that wall w- was going up, I also, I knew there was a wall. I knew what I had done, uh, what I had been telling them. And uh, the, the shame and the guilt of that just added further separation to our relationship. Uh, and that is what dishonesty does. That's what lies do. Uh, and they, uh, they are contrary to the character of God. God is a, is a truth-speaking God. And whenever we, uh, we lie at, at our core, we, we're contradicting who, who he is. Uh, and w- when lies begin to be told in any relationship, whether that's a, a husband and wife, whether that's with a parent uh, and child, whether that's with uh, between coworkers, uh, between uh, an employee and a boss, uh, between siblings, between friends, uh, parent and child, uh, separation begins. Uh, trust is broken. Walls begin to to be built, and most importantly, truth is hidden. But what is it that sets us free? John 8.32 says the truth, uh, Jesus says that the truth will set you free. Uh, if, you, if you ever lied to somebody and the truth finally comes out, how do you feel? It, it, on the one hand, you're like, okay, I'm going to have to face the consequences. But on the other, it's a, it's a huge sigh of relief. Uh, you are glad that things are finally out and open on the table. And that is what Paul is calling for here. He's saying, do not lie to one another. You need honesty to characterize your relationships in the church. A great church demands great honesty. Uh, and in Ephesians 4.25, uh, a parallel passage to this, Paul, Paul states that we should speak truth to one another because we are in fact members of one another. You see, in the church we are all united to Christ. As individuals we are all connected to Christ, which means we are all connected to one another through Christ. Uh, he is the, the hub of, of the wheel, and we are all spokes on it uh, that are connected, and we are united with one another because we are united to that, that central person of Christ. And so when we lie to others, what are we really doing? We are lying against ourselves. We are all one 
body. And so lying to others in that body does harm to the entire church body. A great church demands great honesty. A great church also demands great openness. Uh, James 5, verse 16, James writes, Therefore confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And what James is speaking of there is spiritual healing that comes through the confession of Sins. We just said, as soon as, as soon as you confess, as soon as you're willing to, to acknowledge and agree with God, that's what confession is. When you agree with God about what has taken place, uh, relief comes, uh, and the tension uh, is, is released. Uh, and what Paul is, or James is saying here is that we need to confess our sins one to another because there's also, at times, physical sickness that comes when we lie uh, to others. Now, have you ever, if you've ever lied to somebody that you love, you know that it, it almost makes you sick to your stomach. Now, and if, it, if you allow that lie to continue, it just it festers within your soul, and it's just a constant wearing upon your, your conscience. Uh, and that, uh, th- those physical symptoms uh, are connected with a spiritual issue. And so what, what James is saying is, is the, the resolution to that. If you desire spiritual healing, if you desire physical healing, for a problem that's being caused by your sin, go and confess your sins one to another. Go and, and tell what you have done to the person that you have sinned against. Uh, that, that is what the gospel calls us to, to be open and honest in our relationships uh, and in our struggles. Uh, and, and, and we are tempted to, to hide and cover our sins. We are, we are tempted to be dishonest with other people because, quite frankly, we forget the gospel. Uh, we, we forget who we are, which leads us to that, to that second point, that second fact that we'll see about the gospel, that the gospel promises progress in our spiritual growth. Look at, look at the end of verse 9 and all of verse 10. So he, he issues the command, so do not lie to one another, and then seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So after giving this command uh, and this prohibition that we, we are not to speak lies to one another, uh, Paul gives the reason for that. He says, hey, seeing that you, seeing that these things are true, and what are the two things that he points to? Uh, two past realities that we've looked at uh, in depth as we, as we have walked through Colossians, uh, that you have uh, put off the old man. When you put your faith in Christ, uh, the old self is put away. Uh, it's done away with. And, and the word here, putting off, is uh, it's like it's taking, taking off or having disarmed. Uh, you've disarmed the old man. He no longer has any, uh, any power. And you have put on or clothed yourself with the new self. With a, with a new person in Christ that God has created you to be. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Uh, and, and the emphasis here is upon uh, the new that has been put on and what is currently taking place because the new has been put on in the past. So when you believe in Christ, the old is put off, the new is put on. But now look at what is currently taking place in verse 10. And you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So there are things that have happened in the past as soon as you place your faith in Christ. But the, the, the promise for the present is that there is an ongoing, continual process of renewing that is taking place in your life. And it is something that God is doing. Uh, it, it, the, the word here in the Greek is, is passive, meaning that, you, that we aren't the ones performing the action, but that somebody else is performing the action upon us. And here it's speaking of God. Uh, and this, this renewal is a continual process that will never be complete in our lives. We will never get to that point uh, where we are uh, completely like Christ and that we are no longer able to sin. Uh, and this, this command or this reality that we are being renewed is seen elsewhere in the New Testament as well. Romans 12, 2, very famous passage, says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good 
and acceptable and perfect. And then Ephesians 4, 22 to 24, Paul says to, that you have been taught to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Uh, that is, that is the, the ongoing process that is always taking place. Is at, uh, we are continually working to, to put off and put on uh, th- those new, the old self and the new self. And then as that is taking place, God is continually renewing us and making us more and more like his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, and it is a, we are being renewed in knowledge. And, and that knowledge is the knowledge of God. Uh, our minds are being transformed. If, if you just uh, look back uh, at Colossians 1, th- this, this concept of growing in knowledge is, is a theme in Colossians. If you look, uh, Colossians 1, uh, verses 5 and 6, starting in the middle of verse 5, Paul says, Of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Our spiritual growth begins when we begin to understand the grace of God, uh, when we understand the gospel that we are a sinner in need of God's grace to save us. That's where our spiritual growth begins. Uh, Paul's prayer then in Colossians 1 verse 9 Paul's prayer for them is that they would grow in knowledge. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Uh, uh, that was uh, their spiritual growth began when they understood the gospel. Uh, Paul prays for them to continue to grow. Uh, at the end of Colossians 1, verse 28, Paul's ambition is to uh, have to disciple everyone to maturity. He says, Him we proclaim, speaking of Christ, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. And then in Colossians 2, 8, Paul warns them against... Uh, being taken captive by knowledge that is contrary to Christ. Uh, He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Uh, Of maturity uh, in our faith looks like growing in the knowledge of God, who he is, what has he done on our behalf. But uh, there is a world system out there against us, working against us, trying to lead us astray. Uh, and the world and its teaching are contrary to Christ and his teaching. Uh, and as Christians, we are to be progressively renewed by God. Uh, and that is what will take place in our lives uh, over our, uh, for, the, for the remainder of our days. Uh, it's, it's common for, for cities uh, with historic downtown areas or old downtown areas to, uh, to take out uh, the, the old urban decay, those buildings that are uh, old and falling apart uh, and are no longer used. Uh, they, they take those buildings out and they, they have new construction put in or they, or they come and they renovate buildings to, to freshen them up. Uh, and this process is known as, as urban renewal. Uh, one large project uh, in uh, the Chicago area is known as the, the South Works Lakeside Project. Uh, and the, the original facility uh, was a steel mill that began in 1857. And at its peak, the factory employed uh, about 20,000 people. In the 1970s, the, the steel market took a downturn. And by 1992, uh, this, this steel, market, steel mill was completely shut down. Uh, and since then, it has, has stood mostly vacant. Uh, but the city of Chicago has this ambitious plan to revitalize uh, this uh, 600 acres where this plant used to be. Uh, and they're, they're trying to attract investors and uh, to, to bring nearly four million, four, not bi- million, but billion uh, dollars into the property uh, that once belonged to the steel factory. And they're going to put in 14,000 housing units, 20 million square feet of retail space, uh, and plans for a marina with 125 acres of parks. Uh, all of this they're trying to do. They're trying to, uh, to bring renewal to this area, and they're doing it by, by putting money and investments in there. 
And in a similar fashion, God the Father has decided to begin a human renewal project in your life. Exchanging the sinful, decaying heart of stone uh, and instead putting in its place a renewed heart, a heart of flesh, as Ezekiel speaks of. Uh, God wants to make us like his son, Jesus Christ. That's the point of the renewal. If you look at uh, the end of verse 10, so, and, and you have been and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. See, the, the goal of God's renewal in our lives is to make us look like his son. Uh, our older brother, Romans 8:28, very famous verse. Uh, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Uh, less familiar, but just as important as verse 29, which says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. See, God, God wants us to be like his son, and he is now working in our lives, using everything to shape us and mold us so that we become more and more like Jesus. Uh, and the cost of our renewal, the cost of our, the renovation project upon our souls isn't, isn't quantified in, in dollars or in gold, but it is counted in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. His blood bought our renewal. His life paid for your transformation, uh, and it is a renewal that will continue uh, until you meet Christ face to face. And we have to understand the connection between this, uh, what he's saying, of God promises progress in your, in your spiritual growth with, with the prohibition that he gave at the beginning of verse 9, of do not lie to one another. See, oftentimes... Uh, we, we are not honest with uh, others about our sins and our struggles because, uh, we, we, like I said, we have forgotten the gospel. Uh, but, but what is the gospel? The, the main point of the Bible, the, the gospel message, states that all mankind is separated from God because of sin. Uh, that, that sin, our rebellion against God, uh, is anything that we think, say, or do that is contrary to God and to his character and his law. And we can't, we can't bring peace to our rebellion. Uh, and the, the only way to make things right is by trusting in Christ for our salvation, to, to bring peace. Uh, and when we couldn't bring peace, God did bring peace through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus paid the penalty that we couldn't pay by going to the cross, uh, by dying on the cross, and then by being uh, resurrected from the grave three days later, uh, showing that his penalty, the penalty that he paid on our behalf, was accepted. Uh, and, and now we are called to, to believe that in faith we are forgiven. Uh, and if we believe that and trust not in ourselves but in Christ, uh, we are saved from the wrath uh, of God and transformed in this life. And, and that is the gospel that has been proclaimed and that we have believed. But now, now that we have believed that, sometimes... Uh, we forget it. Uh, see, when we come to faith in Christ, we're willing to acknowledge that we're sinners, but sometimes after we've been in the church for a while, we're afraid to acknowledge that. We feel like we, we can't really be open and honest with somebody else. I can't acknowledge I'm a sinner. What will they think of me? They'll, they'll judge me, but the reality is that the gospel that saved us is the gospel that still needs to be applied to our lives each and every day. Uh, and somehow, once we've been in the church for a while, we feel like we have to have everything together. Uh, and we, we begin to, to build those walls, or as one biblical counselor said, uh, we begin to build bomb shelters. Uh, it's not just a wall. We have four walls and a roof, uh, steel-reinforced, concrete. Uh, we do all of this, and then we have a little eye slot so that we can look out uh, and, and, and see uh, what other people might think of us. But we don't want to let anybody in and get to know us in reality. We forget the gospel. The gospel says that we are sinners in need of grace. And we need to keep that in mind even as we come to church each and every Sunday, even as we come to our groups uh, during the week, because when we get in our mindsets that we have to be perfect, we've become practical legalists. That we've begun to say, well, now that I'm a Christian, I have to be perfect uh, you're, you're going you're gonna to tire yourself out. 
Uh, as we looked at uh, the five solas of the Reformation uh, back in October, we said grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone is freeing. Because if you have to work for your salvation, you're, uh, what question always hangs out there? Have, have I done enough? Uh, and, and you always have to, you're on that hamster wheel perpetually. Uh, but the gospel of faith means that, no, you are a sinner in need of God's grace. And if you believe and trust in Christ, you will be saved. Uh, and so when, when we understand these, these two facts, that, that we are still sinners in need of God's grace, and God has promised us uh, a sanctifying grace that is continually working in our lives from the moment you believe until the end of your life. When we understand that and we, we apply the gospel to our lives, this is what it would look like. Now, as we apply the gospel to ourselves, we, we remind ourselves, hey, I'm a sinner in need of God's grace. Uh, I need him to save me and continually cleanse me. Uh, and this promotes honesty within my own soul about my sin. This means that, that I am willing to acknowledge uh, my sin before the Lord first and foremost. Uh, and, and, it, and it immediately promotes humility in my soul. Because, because I should see myself as the worst of sinners. That's what Paul said. Why should I see myself as the worst of sinners? Because I know more about my sin than I... No matter who, who else I am interacting with on a daily basis, no matter how many times they sin against me, uh, I still know more about my own sin than, than I know about their sin. So I always need to view myself as the worst sinner... So understanding that I am a sinner promotes humility within me, but it also, uh, that second truth, that God is working and sanctifying me, promotes hope. Because even though I'm a sinner, what's happening, what's taking place uh, in my heart at the same time is I am continually being renewed by God to make me more and more like Christ. And I need to apply the gospel to myself on a daily basis. But then also, what does it look like to apply this gospel truth uh, in my relationship with other Christians? First and foremost, I need to, to understand that I'm, as, I act with, as I interact with other Christians, I'm still interacting with sinners. So what should I expect? Sin, right? Uh, th- th- that's a reality. Not that I want to encourage sin, but I need to expect it, that they're still a sinner. I shouldn't be shocked uh, when, I, when I get into a conflict with somebody else because we're two sinners with two different ideas, two different ways of communicating, two different priorities with des- sinful desires in our hearts. There's going to be conflict. So I, sh- I should expect sin to take place in the lives of others. But I should also understand that other Christians are also being worked upon by God, that they are still in process, that they are, themselves are still growing in grace and being transformed into the image of Christ. Uh, so, so married couples, what, what does this promote uh, among our lives? Uh, patience with, with our spouses. Uh, in, in our growth groups, what does this promote? Well, it promotes a culture of grace uh, and, and acceptance because uh, when we come to our groups, uh, if we're really being honest, we'll, we'll explain, hey, I had an argument with my wife on the drive over here. Or I just yelled at my kids because they wouldn't listen. Or uh, we're going to be honest with the sin that takes place in our lives, and we should understand that that sin will take place. So should we be shocked when sin is shared in our growth groups, in small groups? No. No, We shouldn't be shocked. We should expect it. Uh, And we should encourage uh, openness and honesty in our groups. Uh, We shouldn't be shocked, and we should extend grace. Because what do we understand? I'm a sinner, they're a sinner, God is working upon us both. Now, that's what the gospel looks like as we apply it to our lives uh, in the church. And then in our relationships with non-Christians, what should we still expect? Sin, because they're still sinners. That's the character of all mankind, uh, that we are sinners. But we also need to understand that those who don't know Christ, their greatest need is forgiveness. Their greatest need is to know Christ, not to repent of any one particular sin, but to know Christ, to repent of unbelief. So parents, this promotes patience with your kids. You should expect what from your kids? Sin, right? Uh, You you should expect that, whether they are a believer or an unbeliever. Uh, But if they are an unbeliever, if you have young kids, well, let's assume that they are unbelievers, right? That's the natural state that they're born in. Uh, in, in rebellion and uh, anti-God, uh, and we want to shepherd and disciple their hearts, but their biggest need is 
to know Christ. Their biggest need isn't for you just to address their outward behavior, because that can, if you just do that, then that can just make them Pharisees. They have outward obedience, but no inner heart transformation. But what we want is to point them to a God who can change their heart, not just these external rules that can change their behavior. And then what about with our friends, neighbors, coworkers, our college students, your, your classmates, uh, or those that you interact with at, at a coffee shop, anybody that you interact with, we need to see them as sinners who can be saved and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we want to encourage them to place their faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. Uh, and we need to apply the gospel consistently to ourselves, uh, within the, the, uh, our interactions as a church, uh, and then with our interactions with the world, uh, that way uh, that we are sinners. And when we understand that we are sinners, we are willing to be open and honest. And the reality is, if, if my sin has been forgiven by God, if I've confessed it uh, and, and, and believed in Jesus Christ, then my sin is already paid for. So what is it that I'm afraid of that other people might respond my, I, I am more afraid of man in that moment than I am afraid of God. Now, and that is what is controlling my life, and that's why I'm not being genuine and honest about what's really taking place. Uh, and and this, this reality uh, of, of being open and honest, the, the motivation for it, we can be open and honest because we know that, hey, I'm a sinner, but I'm being transformed, uh, that, I, that I am growing in God's grace. And that brings us hope, does it not? Uh, and that brings openness and honesty rather than, than barrier building and, and wall building. Of, hey, I can be honest with others about where I am struggling. Now, I can be honest with what my temptations are. I can be honest with what my uh, habitual sins have been because we need help uh, to grow in those sins. That, that is, I think, what Paul is, is saying here, that we have this renewal that's promised to us and that should encourage uh, hum- humility, openness, and honesty. And those kind of encompass the the first two facts of the gospel that we see. And and this third one is also going to be connected. That the gospel levels every distinction in the church. And we see this in in verse 11. Where Paul says, Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. See, oftentimes we, we think of our salvation in an individual sense, right? We just think of it, well, God saved me. He's working in my life. But uh, what Paul is pointing to here is, I think, uh, the, the redemption that we enjoy corporately, of, of what the entire church enjoys. Because uh, if we have individuals have uh, been made new in Christ, we as a church are, in essence, kind of a new humanity, We have a group of new humans, renewed humans here uh, in this room because Christ has worked in our lives. And uh, this this verse begins when he says here, uh, he's pointing back to uh, the the new self. He's saying, hey, in this this new humanity, in in this new person that you have become, uh, he's saying there are no distinctions. And what he's going to do uh, is point out four pairings, and these are four areas of distinction uh, in the ancient world, and there's still four areas of distinction that we see in our world today. Uh, and what he is saying is these, these distinctions no longer apply. The first of these four pairings, he says Greek and Jew, would be, be a, a racial distinction. Uh, and whenever uh, the word Greek is used with Jew, uh, what, what is really meant is Gentile. So anybody who's not a Jew. Uh, in, the, in the Jewish world, there were two groups of people, Jews and non-Jews. <laughs> uh, and so what Paul is saying here is that that was a distinction of, of former times. But now if we are in Christ, we no longer identify ourselves as uh, along ra- racial lines of Jew and non-Jew, but we identify ourselves as Christian. Uh, the, the next pairing that he, that he gives is uh, circumcised and uncircumcised. So it refers to uh, the same distinction as he just mentioned, but to their kind of religious observances. Uh, but, but he puts it in the opposite order. What, what, again, what he's saying is, hey, this, this is not how we distinguish ourselves along uh, religious lines or, or, or uh, lines of different uh, sects of Judaism or uh, 
or of the Greeks of, hey, I follow God, but I, I'm not going to be uh, circumcised or, or other things like that. He says, no, we identify first and foremost as those who are in Christ. Uh, the, the next pairing uh, says barbarian Scythian. Uh, and this doesn't reflect opposites, but rather two different uh, levels of uh, the same aspect of, of cultural categories. See, uh, to the Greeks, uh, a barbarian was anybody who didn't speak Greek. Uh, in fact, that's where the, the word comes from, the, the Greeks making fun of barbarians, because they say that they used to speak like this, bar, bar, bar. Uh, so the fact that they came up with that, oh, they're just a barbarian, you don't speak Greek, you're, you're a, a second-class citizen culturally because you don't know Greek. Uh, and among the, the barbarians, anybody who was non-Greek, uh, the Scythian people were the worst. Uh, these would be people who, who would uh, live just north of the Black Sea in what is modern-day Ukraine uh, and Russia. And uh, Josephus, a Jewish historian, says that the Scythians uh, delight in murdering people and are little better than wild beasts. Uh, and so there was no people group more looked down upon by the Greeks than the Scythians. But here Paul is making a huge statement. He's saying that barbarians and Scythians can still be saved by Christ, and that when they come to Christ, they are not second-class Christians, uh, that they are equal with anybody else who comes to Christ, which would have been mind-blowing. You're like, but these are people who... Uh, there's horror stories. I won't get into all of the details, but they were were very uncultured, according to the Greeks. Uh, They they were truly the most barbaric people that they could think of. So what Paul is saying here is is world-shattering to the Colossians. Uh, And the fourth uh, pair that he he makes is, is again, a contrast of of social distinctions. He says, slave and free. A slave was viewed as property in the ancient world. Aristotle, uh, the Greek philosopher, says a slave is a living tool and a tool is an inanimate slave. Uh, And again, here you have Paul saying that both uh, slave and those who are free are equal in the church. Uh, That when they come to Christ, they are on equal standing. And this is is a loaded comparison because uh, after we look at Colossians, we're going to look at the letter to Philemon. See, Paul wrote this letter uh, and sent it uh, with a guy named Onesimus, uh, who's traveling with Epaphras. And Onesimus is a runaway slave who is being returned to the master that he ran away from, a guy named Philemon who is in the Colossian church. So so when Paul is saying here that, that the slave and the free person, the slave and the owner, are on equal standing before Christ, there's going to be implications for that which we'll, we'll see more in the letter to Philemon. But, but this reality that, that in, in the gospel, when we come to Christ in faith, uh, all, of, all of the man-made distinctions that we create get, get pushed aside, uh, and that we are all equal in Jesus. Uh, this, this truth is spoken of in, in multiple places in the New Testament. Uh, Galatians 3, verses 27 and 28. For as many as you were baptized into Christ have put on uh, Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And then 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Hey, when, when you were baptized... Uh, were you baptized like in a different pool or with a different spirit uh, when, you, when you placed your faith in Christ? No, we were all baptized into the, the same body, into the same spirit. And that is what uh, makes us and unites us all together in Christ. Uh, and in these, in these passages, Paul is teaching that in this new humanity that Christ is creating, the old distinctions are diminished in light of who people are now in Christ. But these distinctions don't mean that there are no longer, uh, or the, the changing of these distinctions doesn't mean that there are no longer social roles and responsibilities that are unique to individuals. How do I know that? Well, just jump down to, to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. What heading do you have there? Talk to me. What was that? Family relations? Okay. Anybody have something different? Christ in your home? 
Yeah, the ESV says rules for Christian households. And what Paul does is he, he goes and lists out, hey, wives do this, husbands do this, children do this, fathers do this, bondservants do this, masters do this. There, there's still distinctions and roles for each person to play, but what he's saying is that at the foot of the cross, we are all on level ground. That our standing in Christ is the same. And to the point where in the ancient world, you could have a, a slave being a leader of the church and the free people submitting to that slave's leadership. That, that, that's what Paul is saying here, that in Christ, you are all spiritually the same and you should not make distinctions and hierarchies among yourselves accordingly because you are all equal. And... Uh, in addition to that, the reason that we are all equal is because of what is at the end of verse 11 there. He says, but Christ is all and in all. Of all of those distinctions fade away because of the supremacy of Christ. Because Christ is everything. That's what he's saying when Christ is all. And not everything in the pantheistic senses of like Jesus is in the projector screen or Jesus is in the speakers. But meaning that Christ is preeminent. That's been the message of the letter. He is who is most important. And then Christ is in all. Meaning that he dwells within every believer without exception or without uh, any different levels of uh, dwelling within them. This, this fact that, uh, that we are all equal in Christ is, is most easily seen in times of persecution, right? Uh, there, there's stories of uh, Roman persecution in the, in the early church uh, where, uh, where slave owner and slave are both put to death because they are both Christians, right? Uh, they, are, they are both uh, turning to Christ in faith. One, one such account says, that in the arena at Carthage in AD 202, a profound impression was made on the spectators when the Roman matron, Perpetua, stood hand in hand with her slave, Felicitas, as both women faced a common death for a common faith. Right? Uh, if you're following Christ, the world will hate you and, and persecute you. And we don't need to make distinctions among ourselves and hierarchies. In, in the church, there, there should be no hierarchies or distinctions of race, culture, gender, or economic status. We are all under the same banner of Christ. And to create categorical distinctions uh, among Christians uh, denies the grace of God and it destroys our fellowship. That is a way that we begin to build barriers within the church by beginning to align ourselves according to, to the, these categories. That human laws, court decisions, and social media platforms will, will not transform hearts. And the, the social strife that our country is uh, experiencing right now, what, what, is the, what is the solution to that? It's not any of those things. It's not waiting for a Supreme Court ruling. The reality is the gospel is what needs to be applied. Uh, what transforms hearts, what, what destroys these distinctions is people coming to faith in Christ. Because then Christ, who is all and in all, becomes preeminent and those distinctions are done away with. That is what becomes most important as we turn to faith in Christ. Uh, and uh, as you see, this... This passage is all about removing barriers to our fellowship, uh, removing those things that, that hinder our relationship with one another in the church. The gospel calls us to, to honesty. The gospel calls us to understand and remember where we came from and that we are still sinners in need of God's grace and still being worked upon by God and that we cannot begin to make distinctions among ourselves based upon race or ethnic lines. The gospel breaks down every barrier that we can put up that can divide us, and that is the power of the gospel. On November 9, 1989, uh, the East German government announced that uh, it was going to open its borders uh, to everyone, uh, and that was coinciding with the collapse of the Soviet Union. Uh, and when that announcement was made on television that night, uh, it got uh, people on both sides of the wall in Berlin into the streets. Uh, and initially, as all of these people come 
come to the wall, uh, the border guards weren't sure what to do. They almost opened fire on, on the crowd uh, and just started killing people, but they realized, hey, we, we didn't have orders to do that. Uh, and the reality is there's so many people here. If we started opening fire, we would have problems and situations. Uh, and so what you had in Berlin that night was the reality that even though the wall was still in existence, it had been torn down uh, in, in reality. That it was going to be torn down later, but the people on both sides of the wall, they, they climbed to the top, uh, they jumped over, they, they celebrated, they popped champagne, they were uh, rejoicing and dancing in the streets because what had once separated countrymen, what had once separated a nation, no longer divided them. Uh, and that is what Christ has done for us. That he has removed every barrier to fellowship within the church. He breaks down every distinction, and that what is what he is now calling us to. And may we rejoice in the same way as those uh, Berliners, as, as those Germans, when, with the, reunif- the unification of their country. And may we celebrate in the same way, because we have something that is even more profound, uh, more miraculous, and more powerful, and more life-changing. Do we praise God for that now together? Amen. Let's pray. Almighty God, we, we come to you so thankful for your grace, your mercy. Lord, we acknowledge that we are sinners, that we, we rebel against you constantly. That is the, the natural inclination of our hearts, but we are so thankful that you have worked in our lives to save us through your Son, Jesus Christ. We are so thankful that you continue to work in our lives, that the work that you started at salvation, you continue to sanctify us, you continue to mold us and shape us so that we become more and more like your Son, Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the encouragement that we find in your word. And help us to heed this message this morning. Lord, help to promote honesty and openness in our lives. Lord, help us to be willing to, to confess our sins to one another. Help us to uh, be open and honest with one another so that we can truly minister to one another. We can't perform and obey the one another's if we don't know what's going on. And Lord, I pray that you would create in our church a culture and a desire to be open, uh, to confess sin, to glorify you in that confession. And then with the comfort that we experience as we apply the gospel to our own lives, help us to use that comfort to pass along to others. Lord, we we love you. We thank you for your grace. And we pray these things in Jesus' name.